Hello and welcome to ASTCT Talks, the official podcast of the American Society for Transplantation and Cellular Therapy. We chat with industry leaders from all areas of the blood and marrow transplantation and cellular therapy field, including doctors, physician assistants, pharmacists, nurses, administrators, social workers, and more. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to this episode of ASTCT Talks, supported by Johnson & Johnson. Today's topic is CAR-T, how to handle CAR-T wait lists in multiple myeloma. I'm Christina Ferraro. I'm a nurse practitioner at Cleveland Clinic in the blood and marrow transplant and apheresis programs. And we are joined today by Beth Feynman. She is a nurse practitioner also at Cleveland Clinic in the Department of Hematology and Oncology in the myeloma program and has been since 2002. She received her Master's of Science in Nursing from Kent State University, and in 2014, her PhD in Clinical Research and Nursing from Case Western Reserve University. Dr. Feynman has become an exemplary leader in bringing critical knowledge in cancer nursing to clinical providers locally, nationally, and internationally. She demonstrates energy for advancing all cancer care and immerses herself in national and international programs, services, and leadership work within advanced practice provider organizations and myeloma communities. We are so happy to have you join us, Beth. Thank you. There is so much excitement around CAR T cells for multiple myeloma. Can you give us a little background about the disease and how CARs enter in? Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Again, thank you for everybody for having me. Um, Basically, as you probably very well know, multiple myeloma is a clonal bone marrow disorder of the plasma cells. And so the plasma cells are responsible for producing immunoglobulins with various mechanisms of action. Through a series of genetic changes and alterations to these cells, they turn malignant. What we've learned in the last 25 years at the laboratory level is all of the complex immunologic effects that occur at the level of the bone marrow microenvironment. So now we're rather than using traditional chemotherapies other than high-dose malfoin for transplantation, we're using more novel therapies such as BCMA-directed therapies. So this B-cell maturation antigen has emerged as a major target of the member of the tumor necrosis factors superfamily. It's expressed on the late memory B cells, but not in the healthy cells. So that's really important. Um, There are so many mechanisms of action of BCMA, such as through CAR-T therapy or bispecifics. So in CAR-T cells, as you very well know, we engineer these T cells to redirect in the CARs and have them directly target the BCMA. Now, this is a different target than Yascarta and Kimraya and our other therapies that are CAR-T cells for other malignancies. We also now have a non-cellular therapy, which is off-the-shelf, bispecific BCMA-directed therapy that has two arms. It can carry the myeloma cell and the T-cell together. So in contrast to the cellular therapy, we have the bispecific, although the CAR T-cell therapy is cooler. (laughs) So with so many treatment options available for multiple myeloma patients, what criteria are you using to determine who is eligible for CAR T-cells? And with limited spots, who goes first? 
Oh my gosh, this is the biggest concern. Um, when the therapies Idacel were available in 2021 and the Siltacel in 2022, we were super excited. Um, but unfortunately, due to manufacturing and vector issues, those were scarce and not all centers had access to those therapies. We would routinely get one or two slots per month, which was also echoed in a recent study by Corellis and colleagues that was um, published in April of this 2023 in the TCT Journal. Um, so that really highlighted in that survey the limited availability of CAR-T. So that led to centers required to uh, prioritize who's going to get these therapies. So we're trying to balance the disease progression and patient fitness and all these other factors because we know patients with multiple myeloma that have been exposed to immunomodulatory drugs like Revlimid and pomalidomide, also proteasome inhibitors uh, such as carfilzomib and bortezomib, and then the CD38 monoclonal antibodies such as daratubumab and ezetuximab. When you're triple class exposed to all those drugs, you confer poor prognosis. Now, um, in our minds at the Cleveland Clinic, we wanted to we wanted to build a predictive algorithm to say if I select you with these factors for the CAR T cell, you're going to do better. But building that predictive algorithm needs thousands of patients and many different years of length of time, and we don't have those resources. So what we did is we looked at the candidates from a pool of patients, and we tried to balance that ethical, um, providing that access to our patients with the availability. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. When deciding a candidate and you need to allocate available slots, who is on your multidisciplinary team? And what is each person's role in the discussion? So I'm super excited as an advanced practitioner, as you are, Chris, to work for an organization that really values the voice of nurses, physicians, physician assistants, social workers, and um, and allied health staff. You know, we all, I feel like we all have a voice. So we have this regular meeting that convenes on a weekly basis. And um, through discussions, I was kind of led the program um, in deciding uh, six clinical factors for the scoring system. So again, through a collaborative effort, we decided, okay, these selection factors are the most important. So each week we would get like a list of who was on the uh, sheet. And then I'd go through the medical record and I would look, did they have pentorefractory disease, meaning they've had a bunch of other therapies. I looked to see if they were undergoing a recent aggressive relapse with like plasma cytomas, were they in the hospital requiring a salvage regimen? I also looked at their life expectancy. Are they triple re class refractory? Um, do they have other comorbid conditions that would put them at risk for not doing well? And then perhaps more importantly, sufficient performance status to get you through that bridge therapy, manufacture those cells and be able to get them back six, four, six, eight weeks later, depending on the, the product. So we sat together and created this scoring system. So each week I would score our patients and bring that to the meeting where we would all discuss the highest, um, the highest priority, most those that were score of nine to um, higher as being of the highest performance um, status and the highest need. Just for my curiosity, can you tell me who, which program team members, which departments did they come from? Yes, so we um, we believe that patients from outside in the region, because not all centers have CAR, right? 
And so a lot of these uh, patients that were on the list were referrals from outside institutions. But as far as the members that were at the meetings regularly were primarily the bone marrow transplant and the standard of care. So this was a hybrid meeting where you had, and it's not the same in most institutions. Oftentimes you're gonna have just transplant cellular therapy, but at our organization, we had a, a mix, mismatch or mix up of all these different physicians. So you had the standard of care physician that said, okay, my patient has been through 12 different therapies. I think they really need a car because there's no access to clinical trials because of the fact that they don't have good performing status. They don't have good organ function. Can we consider them for CAR-T? And then the transplant cellular team would be on the other end and say, well, I agree. And so it was more of a collaborative effort between multi-groups um, at this meeting. I think that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so would you give me a little background on why we decided here at the clinic that we needed this system in place and why other programs might find something like this useful? No, absolutely. And, and so it's, I, I'm fortunate to have collaborations nationally and internationally through many myeloma programs. And I will say that our model was unique. And that was also called out through the survey that Corellis and his colleagues um, from all these different centers had undertaken about how people select patients for um, their CAR T cell. Um, we felt it was necessary to try to strike the balance between the fair allocation of these scarce resources in consideration of the limited CAR T supply. Now, I'm so happy to say that the manufacturers of these CAR T, um, the CARs are just, have gotten a lot better about allocating resources through different portals and access. Um, but there's been the supply chain issues and various barriers that have led to um, patients not getting cars in time. We've seen long rate lists and we've seen um, studies that have shown that, you know, patients will die on the wait list waiting for these cars. So we didn't want it to go that far. So we're trying to find the patients that are fit enough to get it, sick enough to get it, but not too sick that they would do poorly. And I know that my team and I know your team love their patients and want what's best for them and will advocate very strongly for the their patients and for the best possible care. But are there ethical implications for some of these patients, especially since these guys are the sickest of the sick? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, we try to balance the um, patients that are and lack other options, primarily clinical trials. That was a big uh, factor. If there's a clinical trial that that individual could um, access, that was um, that would take priority versus the CAR-T. And there were a lot of bi-specific clinical trials at the clinic and other institutions. But again, these are competitive national trials. And so you still might not meet criteria. So anyhow, uh, we looked at the organ transplant literature, and there are some ethical um, principles through this United Network for Organ Sharing, or UNOS, uh, that have been echoed. Again, they have at these solid organ transplant centers, they have these dedicated resource towards equity, trying to make sure like for liver and kidney transplants. And so um, really, again, some of those same principles that we use, the nurses, the physicians, advanced practitioners, um, trying to say who's a candidate, who's fit. Um, and another thing I haven't talked about is support systems. Sometimes people were 
really a great candidate, but they didn't have a caregiver system. They didn't have a dedicated caregiver, which is something you need for these cellular therapies. So um, again, communication about the disease, communication about access and, and letting patients know where they are. Like if they were on clinical trials, you'd say, okay, you're number four on the list for that clinical trial. We don't have lists like that for CAR-T. You might've been number four, but now you're responding to your treatment. So maybe now you're going to be number six because somebody else needs that therapy better. So being open and upfront with your patients as to where they stand for the cellular therapies is really, I think, an important, um, an important fact. So we talked about how often you guys meet. Do you notice any differences or changes in the meeting since these products have been on the market longer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, early on when we had 80 to 90 patients on this list and we said, okay, how do we figure out who gets it? So then we went and developed the scoring system. So we're like, okay, these patients are at the highest need. Let's just focus on these patients and then we'll get to the others when more drug supply becomes available. So when you only had Idacel or Abecma, then it was a lot worse than when you in 2022 had Karvinsky. So that got a little bit better. But then now in October of 2020, 2022, we had approval of teclistimab, that bispecific off-the-shelf antibody. So it's a non-cellular therapy. So I can say um, Jim Jones needs something and we don't want to admit him for VTD pays some intensive chemotherapy regimen. Let's see if insurance will approve teclistimab and we can just provide that therapy to that person. So fortunately, we're seeing more availability of these novel therapies. So that has helped. But we also um, have more um, access to other drugs with newer targets. There's this telketimab, which is going to be FDA approved hopefully this year. And that'll provide another option. That's a new bispecific and the not BCMA targeted therapy. That's a GPRC5D bispecific antibody. So again, we'll be off the shelf and available to people who've gone through CAR-T, gone through teclismab. Now they have a different targeted therapy. So um, when I started managing myeloma as an RN in the hospital in the mid-1990s, and we had infusional VAD with metaports and dexamethasone high doses, I couldn't have imagined all of the science fiction that we're doing now manufacturing their cells, the T cells to redirect and attack myeloma. It's just been phenomenal. Yeah, for sure. I, 20 years in, and I've noticed a huge change from when I started to now, and it's it's so exciting. Yeah. Um, so with these bispecific antibodies and, and all of these new therapies coming in, how will the CAR-T's and transplant really fit into the program? Well, there is a big discussion among transplanters um, that maybe um, high-dose melphalan upfront is not the, no longer going to be the gold standard of care. Unfortunately, we have numerous studies, randomized, well-done studies that so one high dose of melphalan can really keep patients in a really good remission with an autologous stem cell transplant. So I don't think stem cell transplant upfront in myeloma is going away anytime soon, but we did just have a study that was published in New England Journal of Medicine in March of this year that was called Karma 3. And so that was Idacel. Um, so right now the therapies are approved for four prior lines or, meta or more. We talked about that triple class refractory. People don't do well. Now they can get 
the Idacel or Silticel CAR-T if they've had four, four prior lines of therapy. Now this KARMA study published last month in New England Journal shows that patients were randomized at a two-to-one fashion, 286 patients, and they were randomized to either Idacel or one of five standard regimens. Patients that were randomized in one of three prior lines of therapy to the Idacel did way better than the patients that had standard therapies. So I think that this critical research is possibly going to move CAR-T into earlier lines of therapy. I can imagine somebody with plasma cell leukemia that goes into a remission but has high um, risk disease, poor prognosis, would get a BECMA in their second or third line therapy or Siltacel in their second or third line therapy rather than waiting too long. We also have innovative studies with bispecifics and smoldering myeloma, so not even... Uh, halting the disease before it even progresses. And I can see CAR T cell might be um, in there as well. So we have advanced the science so much. I worry though that we've advanced it too much and people that could have done well with little therapy are now getting these big therapies because there's toxicities, right? Long-term cytopenias, we're whacking their B cell and their immune system's ability to fight off infections, um, just in CRS and neurotoxicity, which are the acute side effects. So we have to balance the risk of side effects, risk of death and long-term complications with the benefit of a drug that has a very cool mechanism of action. Wow, I am excited. It is amazing. And I, I love watching our patients live longer and better lives because of all of these new advances. I want to thank you, Beth, so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise and insights on the patients and your selection process and your experience. And all of you, thank you for joining us for this episode of ASTCC Talks and how to handle CAR-T waitlists in multiple myeloma. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate the opportunity for this, um, for this discussion. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of ASTCT Talks. Never miss an episode. Subscribe and provide reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about ASTCT, find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or visit ASTCT.org.